You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I don't know if you've heard... But we've got a top 10 matchup in the Classic City this weekend against the Arkansas Razorbacks. And I am here to break it all down for you glory UGA style. First though, I do want to apologize real quickly at the outset for all the mailbag questions that were sent in this week that we did not get a chance to get to on that episode. Charlie and I have kind of had to rearrange when we are recording that mailbag episode each week. We've just had some scheduling conflicts that we've had to kind of work around a little bit. So right now we're actually recording that mailbag episode on Sunday night. So I'm recording two episodes on Sunday. I'm doing the recap with Curtis earlier in the day and then the mailbag episode with Charlie later on Sunday. So if you have sent in questions after that, they haven't been able to go in the mailbag because we've already recorded the episode. So I just want to put that out there because I don't want anyone to think that we're just like ignoring you. We see you guys and I want to include those questions. And I'll try to get to them maybe on this episode if we have time, maybe later on this week, or, or at the very least, I'll try to respond to you guys on social media, wherever you are sending us those questions. But in the future, if you want to get those questions on the mailbag, try to hit us up before like six o'clock on Sunday to make sure that we see them and that we get them on the list of questions to discuss on those mailbag episodes. So I, I just want to put that out there because I, I feel bad because I know there's some questions, some really good questions that were sent in from some really longtime loyal listeners after we'd already recorded. And I just didn't want you guys to think that we're ignoring you big time in you or anything like that because I promise you we absolutely are not doing that. So I just want to get that out of the way there. And I also quickly want to remind everyone about the Normal Town Cottage here in the Classic City. If you're looking for a place to stay this fall for Georgia football weekends or later in the year, any time of the year, if you're coming to town for a concert, you're visiting a friend, you're touring the campus with your kids, or maybe you just want to relive those glory days for a weekend, whatever the reason you have for coming to Athens, book the Normal Town Cottage on Airbnb for a very convenient in-town location while you enjoy all the classic city has to offer. Guys, I've stayed at a bunch of hotels in my life. I have, and there is no hotel I have ever stayed at that can come close to matching what the Normal Town Cottage has to offer. That's just facts. Three bedrooms, two full bathrooms, and a spacious living area with kitchenette. It also offers free parking on a tree-lined in-town neighborhood street. And if you've been in Athens, 
if, you, if you've been to Athens recently, you know free parking. That's a pretty big deal. It's quiet. It's convenient. It's safe. It's clean. It really is, guys. It's just the perfect place to stay in Athens. And don't take my word for it. Don't believe me? That's cool. But check out all the glowing reviews on Airbnb to get an even better idea of exactly why the Normal Town Cottage is the place to stay in Athens. So go check out the Normal Town Cottage on Instagram, or if it's easier for you, you can just click the link pinned to our Twitter profile. It's at glory underscore UGA on Twitter to reserve your dates today. Don't wait. Book today. But all right, we've got a huge matchup this weekend with game day in town. So let's go ahead and dive into this Arkansas game preview. We did skip a preview episode for the Vandy game. So it's awesome to be back at it this week. This is the stuff I love. Recapping the games on Sunday, that's great. I have fun doing that. I love that too. But this is what I really love. Breaking down the opponent ahead of the game, getting the feel for the game, getting in the right mindset. This is my happy place. And we are going to do it exactly how we have been doing it all season with our countdown for any of you that may be listening to your first Glory UGA preview episode. It's a it's a really simple concept. I just started five and work my way down to one. And in the process, I'm going to give you five players to know, four stats that matter, three matchups to watch, two game plans, and one key to the game. So let's go ahead and start off with the five players to know. The disclaimer I always put out for this segment is, Yes, I know they have far more than five good players, but we're going to highlight the five guys I think you really want to watch for in this game. We don't have time to go down every single player on the roster. I would love to do that. I can sit here and do that right now, but I don't think you want to listen to an episode that ends up being as long as it would have to be if I went into detail like every single player that's in their starting 11 on offense and their starting 11 on defense. So let's, let's stick with five players to know here. And I actually might give you a couple bonus players today. So you're in luck. But let's start at the quarterback position, the most important position on the field. I know a lot of you guys, most of you, I imagine, watched the Texas A&M game last week. I'm sure a lot of you watched the Texas game. And K.J. Jefferson is their big, athletic, physical quarterback right now. He's six foot three, 245, moves very well. He's absolutely a threat with his legs, a big-time threat with his legs. In fact, I'd say he's more of a threat with his legs than he is with his arm. As a passer, though, he's been pretty good. 844 yards passing, six touchdowns to two interceptions, averaging 10.8 yards per attempt. So they're biting off chunk plays there, but only 59% completion percentage. We'll get to that a little bit more in detail later on. Really what you're looking at here is that he's not an efficient passer, but he is doing a great job of hitting explosive plays. Again, I will get into more detail with that in one of the future segments here. Now he did get dinged up a little bit, Late in the game against Texas A&M, it looked like it was his ankle, maybe his knee. Like They said it was knee, but when I was watching him on the sidelines, they were getting his, his ankle tape back up. Maybe that was just a precautionary thing. I don't know. But he tried to come back in the game, was hobbling on the field, was pulled out of the game. The backup, Malik Hornsby, went in the game. He's also very athletic in his own right. So if he plays some of this game because Jefferson is injured, they're similar in that they're both dual threat quarterbacks. Now Jefferson's a bigger, more physical style runner than Hornsby is. Hornsby's just really quick and athletic, and he is skinny as a toothpick. You could break him in half. He's that kind of guy. But he, he's a talented runner in his own right. He ran the ball as soon as he got in the game last week. Jefferson did come back late in the game, kind of finish out the game. Sam Pittman right now is saying, oh yeah, he's fine. He'll be okay. How much of that is true? How much of that is gamesmanship? I don't know. Based off what I saw on Saturday when he tried to go back in that game, 
I would say I have a hard time believing he's going to be fully 100%, but that doesn't mean he's not going to play. I mean, JT's not 100% right now, and he's playing. He's playing at a high level when he's actually out there throwing touchdown passes. So we'll see. That remains to be seen right now. But right now, until we hear or see otherwise, we have to operate on the assumption that K.J. Jefferson is going to be the starting quarterback in this game. Might not end up being the case. May see a lot of Malik Hornsby. We'll see. But right now, we don't know that for sure. When we, If Jefferson's out there, again, he's big, he's athletic, he's physical. He has a good strong arm. He's just not a very efficient passer right now. But the way their offense is structured, as we'll talk about more as we go through this episode, he doesn't necessarily have to be a super efficient passer. That's not what they're asking him to do. But for Arkansas, it clearly all starts with KJ Jefferson for their offense. Now let's stick on the offensive side of the ball for a few more players. Next up, let's go with wide receiver Traylon Burks. Guys, I've been telling you since the preseason when we were doing our official predictions episodes and I was talking about Arkansas when we did our Arkansas scouting the enemy episode, what, two, two and a half months ago now? It's been a while. I told you guys that Traylon Burks is not just the best receiver on the Arkansas Razorbacks football team. He's one of the best receivers in the entire SEC. Maybe one of the better receivers in the country when he's healthy. Now, when the the when he's healthy part is key. He's not 100% right now, but it's kind of scary because he's not 100%, but he's still making big-time explosive plays for them out wide. He's been dealing with a little bit of a heel injury is what it sounds like going back to preseason, missed a couple of weeks in fall camp has played most of the year, hasn't been 100%, but he's, again, still making plays. Had an 80-plus yard touchdown catch against a and that kind of broke that game open last week in the first half. And I, I believe it, guys. I think he's one of the best wide receivers in the SEC. He's big and physical, but he also has good speed, really good athleticism. He's 6'3", 225, had 51 catches for 820 yards last season as a sophomore. This year, even though he might not be 100%, he's still making big plays, 19 catches for 373 yards, averaging 19.6 yards per catch this season. So he's a big play threat, obviously. And that's kind of what their offense is built to do. He's averaging 16.8 yards per reception for his career. So he's a guy, absolutely, you have to be aware of where he's lined up on every single snap. You have to make him a major part of your game plan. You have to make slowing him down, having an answer for him, a major part of his of, of your game plan, whether or not he's dealing with a heel injury and whether or not he's 100%. Now, this Arkansas team, as we'll talk about more, is an offense that's built around running the football. And their starting running back is a guy named Traylon Smith. He is a guy that is not elite. I would certainly not call him an elite running back, but he's a really good running back that will sneak up on you if you don't prepare for him, if you don't take him seriously. He was not the starter coming into last season, Raheem Boyd was, but he became the starter about halfway through last year when Boyd had some issues dealing with injury, and uh, he was kind of their guy the second half of the year on at running back. This year, he's got 59 carries for 298 yards, 5.1 yards per carry. So he's what I told you guys, not elite, but a really good back that can do some good things for them. He's a smaller guy. He's 5'9", 190 pounds, but he's also a guy that will run with surprising power for a guy that's not huge. He's, of course, shifty and quick, as you would imagine, at that size. He's not necessarily a burner. He doesn't have like elite home run speed, but he's really shifty, really quick, can make you miss, has some of that elusiveness in the hole, kind of make you miss. And again, we'll run with surprising power if you don't bring your legs to tackle. But there's a couple other running backs to follow here because it's not like, like he's their starter, 
but it's not like he's necessarily their workhorse. They have a couple other guys who are going to work in. Raheem Sanders, Dominic Johnson, both have made plays this year. A.J. Green's a freshman to really watch out for. They don't use him a ton, but when they put him on the field, there's a really good chance they're going to use him. He's a guy, if you watched the, uh, the A&M game last week, he's a guy that basically, uh, he was playing running back, and they ran kind of a wheel route with him, and A&M was, was caught off guard there, but they caught up with him and kind of they had the angle and they essentially pushed him into the end zone. They kind of propelled him forward. It was a terrible effort at trying to tackle him. But he is a guy that has home run speed. He was clocked as a 10, 300 meter guy in high school. True freshman now. He's a home run hitter. Maybe the biggest home run hitter they have on their offense. He doesn't play a ton, but when you see him go in the game, watch for him. He's a guy that will absolutely make a big play if you're not aware of where he is and you're not aware when he's on the field. All right, well, let's move over to the defense side of the ball for the next couple guys here. And I'm gonna start with Trey Williams on defense. This is a guy that is a transfer from Missouri. Makes sense, right? Their their defense coordinator, Barry Odom, was that coach in Missouri, has a relationship with Trey Williams, recruits, and they, they had to get some guys up front. They were not great up front last year, guys. They had major issues. That's why they kind of went to this 3-2-6 3-2-6 defense. They didn't have enough bodies up front, not enough quality bodies. So they went out and they hit the transfer portal and they hit it pretty hard. And the, the biggest transfer they brought into this point that I've seen so far this season is Trey Williams, who's kind of like their pass rusher up front. He's second in the SEC in sacks, 6'5", 255. And, and he does he does it all. He, he has a speed rush. Now, he's not Adam Anderson quick off the edge, but he's plenty quick enough. Uh, he'll, he'll absolutely bull rush a left tackle. He does a good job of setting you up He'll he'll start outside with a quick little outside step and then dip inside. Maybe the thing that's most impressive about his game is just his motor. This guy gets after it. He just does not stop. He's relentless. He might not beat you at, uh, with, with his first move, but that does not mean he's going to stop. Sometimes you see these guys that will put a move on a on a blocker, and if that doesn't work out, they kind of just like give up on the play. Not the case with Trey Williams. First move doesn't work. It doesn't matter, man. He's got he's got another move for you. He's got a secondary move. He's got a third move for you. He's gonna keep after the passer until that whistle blows. Plays incredibly hard, and he's one of the reasons why I was saying earlier. He is the reason why I was saying earlier in the week when we're talking about the possibility of maybe throwing Broderick Jones out there, talking about whether or not Broderick has earned the right to go out there, whether he gives us an opportunity to move like Jamari Salyer inside, get a little more size on the interior, which will allow us to hopefully get more movement on the interior. But I just, I hesitate right now to say, I think it's the right move to throw Broderick out there in this game, because I do have respect for Trey Williams. I think this is a guy that might not be like an elite pass rusher, but he's a really, really good pass rusher. Right now, he's been as productive as really anyone in the SEC, again, second in, in the in the conference in sacks. And he's a guy that just plays until the whistle blows. So you got to know where he is. Another guy to game plan for. And then finally, I'm going to throw three guys at you at once here for this last one. I know it's supposed to be five players to know. And technically, I'm going to throw three more at you. But they all play the same position. And it's all like they're not the same guy. But they kind of are, if you know what I mean. If you catch my drift. If you've seen them play, you kind of get what I'm saying here. And that is the linebacker core for Arkansas's defense. Bumper pull, Hayden Henry, Grant Morgan. Those are their three linebackers that they roll with. Now, they do usually only have two of them on the field at one time. They will rotate all those guys. They'll play about equal snaps throughout the course of a game. But again, as we'll talk about more later on this episode, they really run a base like 3-2-6 defense. They really only have two inside linebackers in there at any given time. 
And it usually it's Bumper Pool and Grant Morgan starting. Those are their top two guys last year. But Hayden Henry plays just about as much as those guys. It's really a three-man rotation. That's what it is. And I'm kind of lumping them here together because, again, like I said, I, I kind of see them as the same player. They're extraordinarily similar in how they play in their physical profiles. They all three play really hard. They rally to the ball. They play pretty well in space. Like They're, they're pretty athletic. I think they all three struggle more when the ball is run right at them. I think they actually move better sideline to sideline than they do operating when the, when the run is coming right at them. They have blockers in their face. Grant Morgan and Bumper Pool, guys, were number one and number two in the SEC in tackles per game last season. In fact, Grant Morgan was number one in the country in tackles per game last year. They're very, very productive. Now, I've talked about my thoughts on the tackles per game stat before. I don't necessarily think that means you're the best linebacker in the country if you have the most tackles. Different defenses are built to do different things, and their defense is certainly built for these guys to make a lot of tackles. They just don't have a bunch of guys up front. They really only go with three down linemen on basically every single snap. So given more opportunities there in the way that Barry Odom structured it, they are kind of running around making tackles. But regardless of whether I think they're elite linebackers or not, they're very, very productive and they do a really good job for, the, for this Arkansas team, even if they may struggle a little bit when the ball is run directly at them. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, so that is our list of five players to know, plus a couple bonus players. So let's move to our next segment, which is going to be four stats that matter. And this was hard to narrow down, guys. I have a bunch of stats I want to throw out there. We're going to try to stick to four. I might give you a bonus one here at the end, but we'll, we'll try to stick to four big ones. I'm going to start with this. Let's talk about Arkansas's rushing offense. Arkansas currently is averaging 261 yards rushing per game. That's good enough for eighth nationally. Not eighth in the SEC, guys. Eighth in America. And as you would imagine, if they've been that productive and that efficient running the football, their entire offense is built around their ability to run the football. Everything they do on offense is centered around their ability to run the football. And we'll talk a lot more about that here later on, but that is the foundation of this Arkansas offense, especially with a guy like KJ Jefferson at quarterback. 
that is a dual threat with his legs, that makes them very hard to defend. It makes them that more dangerous, that much more dangerous as a rushing offense. All right. The next thing that I want to talk about here, the next I want to give you relates to Arkansas's ability to hit explosive plays. It's remarkable, guys. This offense, even though they're a heavy rushing attack and you like people traditionally don't associate running teams like explosive plays, but that is certainly not always the case. We were an explosive offense 2017, primarily on the ground. And Arkansas can kind of say the same thing for them right now. They are second in the SEC in plays of 20 or more yards and first in the SEC in plays of 30 or more yards. Okay, so they've, they've hit 13 plays of 30 plus yards this season. That's almost double what we have. We've been pretty explosive this year, but we only have seven plays of 30 or more yards in the season. Arkansas has 13. Now, even though they are a team that builds their offense around their ability to run the ball, most of the explosive plays are actually coming through the air. 15 of their 24 plays of 20 or more yards have come through the air. Eight of their 13 plays of 30 or more yards have also come through the air. KJ Jefferson actually against Georgia Southern a couple weeks ago became one of five quarterbacks in FBS history to throw for over 365 yards on 13 or fewer completions. He went 13 of 23 for 366 yards in that game. What they are doing is using their ability to run the football to set up opportunities to hit explosive plays in the pass game. Their strength running the football is forcing defenses to defend them in a way that creates one-on-one man-on-man opportunities out wide for guys like Traylon Burks. And when you have a receiver that is as talented as Traylon Burks is, he's very difficult to handle one-on-one for any cornerback, even the best cornerbacks in the country. So if they're able to get their ground game established, they force defenses to roll a safety into the box, thereby creating either cover three or cover one opportunities. And it's cover one, which is a very dangerous thing to play against Arkansas because they do have the ability with Traylon Burks to attack you vertically. We saw that 80 plus yard pass against AM. What happened there is they motioned a guy uh, across the formation. AM rolled to, to man coverage. When they did that, you had one on one Traylon Burks outside. And he's going to win that far more often than not. And a couple seconds later, you got an 80-plus yard touchdown catch that kind of changed that game and kind of broke that game open for Arkansas, gave them a, a big early lead, a 10-0 early lead, which against AM, who can't score right now, that's a pretty big early lead. But again, that's all created because of their ability to run the football and how defenses have to, ex- have to respect their ability to run the football. And it creates opportunities to hit those explosive plays through the air. So most of the explosive plays are coming through the air, but they're all set up by their ability to run the football. But they are also doing a great job playing complementary football. Here's kind of a bonus stat for you. Not only are they hitting explosive plays, as well as anyone in the SEC right now, get second in the SEC and plays of 20 plus yards, first in the SEC and plays of 30 or more yards. But defensively, they're doing maybe an even better job of not giving up explosive plays, which is incredibly important. It's a key component to winning games. In fact, they're seventh in America in plays of 20 or more yards allowed. They're 12th in the country in plays of 30 or more yards allowed. So they're hitting a lot of explosive plays on offense and they're not giving them up on defense. And one of the reasons for that is the style of defense they play, this 3-2-6 style defense where it kind of gives them the ability to play. They essentially play with three safeties, guys. Now, doesn't mean they're always keeping three safeties deep, but they have three safeties out there. They have a lot of DBs out there in the field. It's basically a, a base dime defense. I'm going to break it down for you in more detail later on the episode. But it allows them to play kind of like an umbrella coverage where they're playing more conservative and just not 
giving teams the opportunity to attack them vertically down the field and create those explosive plays. So when you're hitting explosive plays on offense at the rate that they are, and you're limiting teams in terms of their ability to hit explosive plays against you, you're going to win a lot of football games. That's how you beat Texas. That's how you beat Texas A&M. That's how you find yourself inside the top 10. It's been a big part of their success through the first four games of this season. All right, the next stat that matters is their efficiency numbers. So I just went over how explosive they are, and they are. It's been a huge part of their success. It's kind of odd, though. They are not a very efficient offense. They're a very explosive offense, creating a lot of explosive plays, but they're not efficient down to down. KJ Jefferson is only completing 59% of his passes right now. That's only 11th in the SEC among SEC quarterbacks. But even that percentage, as low as it is, I mean, any sub 60 guys is not good. Even like 60-61 is not very good, especially now with like RPOs and the screen game, how we've kind of seen the proliferation of those kind of, of offenses that really kind of feature those kind of pass plays. You're seeing guys in the low to mid-70s. But KJ Jefferson is only at 59%. But even that is skewed by one game versus Texas. Against Texas, he completed 73% of his passes. But that is clearly the anomaly. Against Rice in week one, 57%. Against Georgia Southern, 56%. Against Texas A&M, 47%. So in those three games, he's only completing 53% of his passes. And then last year in his lone start against Missouri, he only completed 54% of his passes. So clearly throughout his career, which is still a small sample size, the 73% completion percentage against Texas, that is by far the anomaly. That's the aberration here. He is a guy that's a mid 50% completion guy. And that's okay when you're hitting the big plays like that. But if you play against a defense who doesn't give up the big plays, I have a feeling they're going to struggle to move the football. And that low completion percentage number is one of the reasons why, as, as explosive as they've been, they have not been good on third down. They're 95th nationally in third down conversions. They're only converting 35% of their third down opportunities on offense. That is not getting it done. But again, you can kind of overlook that. That doesn't come back to hurt you as much if you're hitting those explosive plays at the rate that they are. Now, I would say, oh man, are you going to be able to continue to hit those explosive plays all throughout the year? Or are teams kind of going to figure out what you're doing and find a way to limit those plays? And once they limit the explosive plays, are you good enough on a down-to-down basis to consistently move the ball enough to score and to beat the teams that you're going to have to beat if you really, really want to be a contender for the SEC West and the SEC title down the road? But here's another bonus stat for you. As inefficient as they've been on offense, they've actually been really efficient on defense. So on defense, they've been really good at limiting explosive plays and they've been really efficient. Right now, they're 12th nationally defensively in third down percentage, only allowing opponents to convert 28.3% of their third down opportunities. So the defense is playing lights out right now, man, guys. Barry Odom has these guys playing some football. And then finally, uh, our last stat to, to, to review here is their pass defense number. So again, I've been kind of talking about how great I think Barry Odom is. I think he's awesome. He's as good a coordinator as there is in America. And really what they've been doing it with so far this season is their pass defense. They have been elite in defending the pass. They're eighth nationally and third in the SEC, giving up only 144 yards a game. They're also eighth in yards per pass allowed. And, and that's kind of skewed a little bit, I will say. like you, At this point in the year, you, since it's a small sample size, you, gotta, you have to factor in competition. And yeah, I know they beat A&M. Yeah, I know they beat Texas. Those are big names, right? But let's look at the context. Let's, let's look a little deeper here. 
Texas started Hudson Card. All right, I think it was his second career start. Guys, Hudson Card does not start for Texas anymore. He lost his job after that game. And now Texas's offense just put up 70 points against a conference opponent against Texas Tech with Casey Thompson inserted as their new starting quarterback. So maybe they just had the wrong guy at quarterback. Maybe Hudson Card wasn't ready. And then, of course, you know, Texas A&M, Zach Calzada is not good at quarterback. He's had to go in for the injured Haynes King, and he's a problem for that Texas A&M offense. So there's some context there. Uh, in Georgia Southern also, like Georgia Southern's 111th nationally in passing offense. Rice is 88th. Uh, A&M is 58. So these are not good passing teams that they've played. But still, regardless, they've done a really good job of defending the pass. Rush defense has been good, hasn't been as good. They're giving up uh, 122 yards a game on the ground. It's 49th nationally. So solid, you know, you know, above average. They're also giving up, uh, well, they're 57th nationally in yards per rush allowed. Now, why is that the case? Why are they better against the pass than they are the run right now? Well, it's what their defense is designed to do with this 3-2-6 scheme they play, which again, we're going to dive into a lot more. I know I keep teasing it, and we will get to it, I promise. In just a second here, we'll get into that in a lot more detail uh, later on in the episode. But I, you know what? Let me give you one more bonus stat here. This, this number kind of blows me away. So we know with COVID, we've got the opportunity for seniors to come back for an additional year. Everybody gets an extra year. We call these guys super seniors, right? These sixth-year seniors are coming back for another year. Guys, Arkansas has 11 11 super seniors on this team. I think eight of them play significant snaps for them. That is huge. That's another reason. It's a really underrated reason why this Arkansas team is having so much success. They've just got some guys with a lot of experience. Now, they've gone through their bumps and bruises throughout their career. You know that. But these guys are coming through the other side, and that kind of experience, that kind of leadership is invaluable when you're trying to change the culture in a program like Sam Pittman is doing. Those guys have bought in, and they can kind of set the tone for the rest of the team to buy in. So that's another thing to factor in here. They got a lot of experience. Like, we have a couple guys coming back. Like, what we had Devontae Wyatt coming back. We had Justin Schaefer coming back as super seniors. But that's about it. They got like four times, four to five times as many guys coming back as super seniors than even we had. Okay, well, let's go ahead and move into our next segment, which is three matchups to watch. And there, oh God, it's okay, I could identify every matchup out there, but there's three that I'm going to highlight here. I'm not going to spend as much time on these. I want to spend a lot more time on the game plans, on the schemes that these teams run, uh, primarily what Arkansas runs. You guys know what we do, but I want to I take a closer look at what Arkansas does offensively and especially on defense because it's very unique defensively what they do. So let's kind of run through these three matchups to watch. The first one I'm going to point out here is the Georgia offensive line versus the Arkansas linebackers. I'm going to be specific here. I'm not going to say the Arkansas front seven because there is no such thing as an Arkansas front seven. I'm not going to say the Arkansas front six because there is no such thing as the Arkansas front six. They have a front five, I guess. They have three down linemen and two linebackers. But I specifically want to focus on the linebackers because the way they structure their defense is these linebackers are obviously playing off the ball. They're linebackers. And they are very aggressive in triggering downhill to kind of fill some of these gaps and these bubbles that looks like there are in that defense, in that defensive front with only three down linemen. And they come from different angles. And what what I've noticed, and like this is something, yeah, you, it kind of makes sense, right? You just think about this. But if you watch them play, opposing offensive lines are having a really hard time blocking their linebackers because those guys are moving and they're quick, they're athletic. They're coming from different angles. Offensive linemen are not as athletic. They don't move as well as linebackers. So when these linebackers are moving in line of scrimmage, it's just harder for these offensive linemen to hit moving targets. It's easier for offensive linemen. They're much more comfortable in blocking down linemen because those guys are kind of their same size, same quickness, more or less. 
are comparable enough, more comparable than what it is with a linebacker. And they know where those guys are going to be. That's what they're used to doing. That's what they've been doing their entire life. Blocking moving targets like that, that are quicker, faster, shiftier than you, that's tough. That's a lot tougher. So can our offensive line do a better job of that than what, especially what we saw from AM last week? Now, AM was playing a couple of true freshmen. They had some guys out. It was not a good look for them on the offensive line, but there's some context there. But that's going to be, I think, a key to this game. That's a big matchup to watch. And also, I would say, like, if you're not about the defensive line, can we stop the penetration from an aggressive defensive line? Because they are very aggressive. There's not many of them out. They only have three down linemen, but they are very aggressive down linemen. And can we block those moving linebacker targets and, the, and those moving safeties who kind of come in on, into the box from time to time? So that's certainly a matchup to watch. The next matchup to watch here is wide receiver Traylon Burks, who I highlighted earlier, against our cornerbacks. This is a big thing, guys. I can't emphasize enough. It's really important that we limit Arkansas's ability to hit big plays in, in the passing game. That's really what they devastated AM with. They had a couple of big plays in the first half of the passing game, and that got them a lead. And they really didn't do much after that, but they didn't have to because they, they got a big enough lead. AM couldn't score. They're playing good defense. They're not giving up big plays. They weren't allowing AM to get back in the game. So that's the thing. And again, like I said earlier, this Arkansas offense is not efficient. They are not going to be able to beat you if they have to go down the field play after play consistently. They have been relying on big plays. Now, they've hit those big plays to date, but my question is, can we do a better job of limiting those big play opportunities? And that does start up front with our ability to limit their run game. I don't want to say stop the run game. I don't know if we'll stop it, but, but slow it down, limit it without having to bring more guys in the box with, with even numbers. Because if we can do that, we can limit the number of times that we're going to have to put our cornerbacks out there in single coverage against a guy like Traylon Burks. That's not a match that favors us in this game. It's just not. No one on our team is going to cover Traylon Burks consistently in single coverage. It's not going to happen. Now, how do we make sure that he's not getting those opportunities? We've got to be able to stop the run first and foremost. But if there are opportunities that they can create matchups with our cornerbacks on Traylon Burks, we got to win those. We got to find a way to win more off now. We cannot let him go wild with those vertical shots down the field. And then the final matchup to watch here, the final one that I'm going to spotlight is our edge defenders, the Georgia edge defenders and linebackers versus KJ Jefferson. Now, of course, our defensive line plays a role in this as well. We can't completely leave them out. But I'm going to really pinpoint our edge defenders and our linebackers defending KJ Jefferson as a runner. Can those guys, can our edge defenders, Nolan Smith, Adam Anderson, Robert Beal, can they play with the necessary discipline and technique? Our linebackers as well. There's a lot of misdirection. They're optioning off of guys or leaving guys unblocked. Will our edge defenders and our linebackers keep their eyes in the right place? Will they execute with that surfing technique that we like to use? Will they just do their job and not chase plays and not try to do somebody else's job? It's very tempting. It really is in a lot of ways like playing a triple option offense. I've seen that these are the same things that you say if we were playing Georgia Tech, you know, back in the year, the years when Paul Johnson was their coach, right? I would say the exact same things when we were doing our preview shows for those games. And, and it's not a triple option offense, but there kind of are some triple option elements built into what they do with their ability to do zone read and RPO off of that. It's not an exact carbon copy, but some of the concepts are pretty similar. They just the optics look a little bit different. So can our edge defenders and linebackers play with discipline, play with the proper technique, keep their eyes in the right place, do their job, not chase plays, and create open running lanes for KJ Jefferson to create some explosive plays on the ground? Because he's got the ability to do that if we don't play with the proper discipline. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, let's go ahead and move into the fun stuff. This is the stuff I really love. Getting down the nitty gritty, the nuts and bolts, the X's and O's. And let's talk about two different schemes or game plans, whatever you want to call it. And let's finally dig into this Arkansas defensive scheme. I've been teasing it all episode, but now's the time. Let's dive head first. And look, as I said earlier, I got a ton of respect for Barry Odom. He's one of those kind of coaches that doesn't really subscribe to one system and one system only. He's not the kind of coach that forces his players to fit into a system that he's always run, even though it might not fit their skill set. He designs his system to fit the skill sets of his players. And as far as I'm concerned, that's always the mark of a fantastic football coach, a coach of, of any kind, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, whatever it is. Design your system to fit the personnel that you have on hand. He walked into Fayetteville last year, looked at the personnel he had on hand. He's like, yeah, we can't run what I've been running. We can't run this traditional even front system that I've been running at Missouri. It's not going to work. We're going to get murdered with it. So he had to change. He had to adapt. He had to adjust. And it didn't necessarily play, pay dividends right away last year. Now, they did have some injuries, had some COVID stuff. Obviously, it was a weird year for everybody. But this year, it is paying big-time dividends. And what they run, is it's kind of a version of what I call the inverted Tampa 2 that Iowa State has been using for the last few years. They are the ones who really brought this into the mainstream. And I don't know if it's mainstream yet. It's not mainstream yet, but you're seeing more and more teams run this. Brent Venables coming into the year, the past couple years, has been toying around with it, experimenting with it. Again, not running it as like a base system, but against certain teams and certain situations that like to, to spread the field and use the spread run game. He was kind of experimenting with it. So you're seeing mainstream coaches start to try to incorporate it, paying closer attention to it. And if you look at this Arkansas defense, it's certainly not a carbon copy of the Iowa State 3-2-6, you know, they're what I call, again, their inverted Tampa 2. It's not a carbon copy, but it's a similar basic structure. There's some differences, but from a, from a structural standpoint, it, it is pretty similar. Now, some people I've heard this week call it a 3-3-5 and... I don't really see it that way. They don't play with three true linebackers. They play with two true inside linebackers. So to me, it's really a 3-2-6. I mean, at, at its base, it's 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 kind of like they're running a base dime package. That's their base defense. Your base defense for a 3-4 team used to always be three down linemen, two inside linebackers, two outside linebackers, two safeties, two corners. That was a base 3-4 defense. Well, very few teams actually ever run a base 3-4 defense because offenses are attacking defenses in different ways. They're spreading the field, and you just have to have faster, more athletic personnel on the field. You can't get away with having that base 3-4 defense anymore. What's really become base 3-4 is, is like a nickel. That, that's kind of become the, the base defense for a lot of different teams. But you haven't seen a ton of teams go with like the dime package where you have six DBs on the field. The nickel, you have five DBs. Dime, you have six. You haven't seen many teams 
go to that as their base package. Iowa State's the first kind of like mainstreamish team that you've seen do that with Matt Campbell coming over. But now you're starting to see more and more teams play around with this. And and when you're looking at this scheme, let's start with the front there. So it's a 3 2 6, 3 meaning they have three down linemen. Now, their down linemen, they play different techniques than Iowa State. Iowa State likes to play what they call a back front where the defensive lineman that is aligned to the same side that the running back is set on is sitting there in a four-eye technique. Four-eye is on the inside shoulder of the tackle. And then the other defensive lineman, which I guess you would call a defensive end, that's opposite the back is in what they call a heavy five. which And that's usually like the pass rusher that they use. They only, really only have, that's one of the weaknesses of the uh, the three two six this kind of inverted Tampa two is that you don't get a ton of pass rush, but that whoever's playing that heavy five and it, it alternates depending on where the back is with Iowa State at least that defensive lineman is like their pass rusher on pass downs, but they've got to read pass or run. If it's if it's a run, then that guy that's with a heavy five, which is like outside shoulder of the tackle, they've got the B gap. They got to crash inside and play B gap. If it's a pass, if they read pass, then they are rushing the quarterback from the C gap from the outside on the outside shoulder of the tackle. And then you have a nose guard who's usually playing a zero technique or a shade to one side or the other of the center, and they're reading the block of the center. That nose guard is playing what they call a lag technique, L-A-G, lag. And what a, what the lag technique is, is basically this: the nose guard is going to play one of the A-gaps. They're going to play the A-gap opposite where the center steps. So if the center steps to his left, then the nose guard has the opposite A-gap. And then whatever A-gap the center does not take, the Mike, the middle linebacker's got to be reading that too because he's going to have whatever A-gap the nose guard does not take. Okay, now that's how Iowa State plays it. Now, Arkansas kind of does that at times. They don't exclusively play in a back front, which is really what Iowa State does. I don't say exclusively, but a large majority of the time. They'll move things around. They'll play tight fronts where they got both uh, of the outside defensive linemen playing four eye techniques on the inside shoulder of the uh, of the tackle there. The reason you would do that is to clog the middle and force things to the outside where you've got help. You've got overhang linebackers where you've got that star. They'll play that at times as well. In fact, they might play that more than they play like the, the back front that Iowa State tends to play. So that's kind of how Arkansas is structuring their defensive front. And they have a one really good pass rusher. Trey Williams, like I said earlier, is a really good pass rusher. They get some push from the interior at times. Their nose guards aren't huge and super powerful, but they're aggressive and they are strong. And they can push the pocket at times. Now, with their inside linebackers, Arkansas does play a little bit different than Iowa State. This is where they start to deviate a little bit from what Iowa State does. Iowa State technically plays what they call three linebackers, but there's really only one true like inside linebacker, and that's your Mike linebacker. The other two linebackers they play with are really hybrid players that, that can play in space effectively, but also fit against the run because they're going to have run responsibilities in that C-gap when it's a run play. They're the overhang player. So they've got to be able to fill those gaps and, and, have, and play those run fits, but they also have to be able to cover and operate in space as well. They're kind of like stars, more or less, maybe slightly bigger than you would think of like a traditional star like in our defense, but they're not really linebackers. Arkansas does a little different. They play with two true inside linebackers. Now, they can move pretty well. They got those three guys. They rotate them. It's Grant Morgan, Bumperpool, and Hayden Henry. But they do play with two true inside linebackers. Now, sometimes they'll flex them out a little bit, but they don't really usually flex those linebackers out all the way like in man coverage over a slot receiver, whereas Iowa State will do that 
with their quote-unquote linebackers. So it's a little bit different for Arkansas. Now, one thing that is similar is that they both operate with six defensive backs. They have three safeties. You'll see them, guys. You'll see them sitting back there all day long on Saturday between the hedges. They'll have three safeties. Now, when the ball snap, they don't all just sit back there and take a third of the field every single snap. They'll do that sometimes. They move around. They do different things. They disguise coverages. They'll do a lot of different things with those guys, but they play with three safeties, three safeties, two cornerbacks, and one star. And what that does, what makes this a unique defense and what makes it a very, very effective defense is it gives you the ability to be fluid on defense and it, you can force the ball to places where you already have tacklers. So why would they play with four eyes on the inside? Why would they want to clog the interior lanes? Well, they want to do that so they can force teams to run outside. Why would they want to force them to run outside? Because that's where you have your support defenders. That's where you have your overhang linebackers. That's where you have your star. That's where you have the safeties coming up. You have your corners out there. It's different. You want to, a lot of times we always talk about, like in our defense, like traditionally, you want to keep contained, right? You want to force the ball in, into the interior where you have all those bodies. They do a little different. They actually want to like kind of clog the interior. That's what the tight front's all about and force the ball outside where they have tacklers ready and waiting. And and I know a lot of you watch the, the Texas A&M game. I know a lot of you watch the Texas game, and you're looking at the Arkansas defensive front and how they have basically three down linemen and two linebackers. You're like, wait, they got five guys in the box. We got at least five offensive linemen, sometimes six there if you got a tight end involved as well or an H-back, whatever position they're lined up in. And you look at that, and on the surface, you're like, dude, that is a favorable front. You've got numbers. You've got to be able to run against that. And it looks like that on the surface because you only see like five guys in the box. Traditionally, when you see five guys in the box, you got five or six blockers. If you have the same number of blockers or more blockers, you got the numbers advantage. You should be able to run the football right down their throat. And that's usually the case. With this system, it's deceiving. It's very deceiving because yes, they will show you five guys in the box on almost every single snap. And you guys are going to be screaming from the stands, Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And I get that. I typically would be too. But with this 3-2-6 system, this inverted Tampa 2, it's very deceiving. It's very misleading because they have all of those gaps accounted for. That's really what defensive football is about is you got to have the gaps accounted for. You don't necessarily have to do it with down linemen. You don't necessarily have to do it with inside linebackers. You just have to have somebody with those run fits that have those gaps accounted for. And they do. So it looks like you have all this room to run. But when the ball snap, you might have safeties rolling down. You might have the star fitting in in a C gap. There's different things they have going on. And so it gives you the perception that, yes, we should be able to run the football because we've got more numbers. But you don't really actually in reality have more numbers. You just have more numbers in the box at the snap. But when after the ball snap, they're going to have more guys in the box. They just switch up who is doing that and who has those responsibilities, which does make it really hard for the offensive lineman to block. And that's one of the reasons that AM had trouble. AM. Is a, is a team that has a pro-style offense, but they had true freshmen playing, they had backups playing because guys were hurt, and those guys just simply did not know to block half the time because it's, it's deceiving. It's tough to figure out, especially when you're not experienced. And that is yet again why I think this is one of those games where I don't know if it's the best idea to start working a new offensive, offensive lineman that haven't played a ton for us to this point. And one of the other reasons that makes it so difficult to run the ball at times against this defense and why it's so deceiving is that yeah, they only have three defensive linemen. You're like, dude, like we've, we've got the size advantage with the numbers advantage. We should be able to run on them. But it's not always that simple. Everyone else, yeah, they're off the ball, but they're off the ball and they're athletic. 
Here's the thing, guys. It's really hard for offensive linemen to hit moving targets that are coming from different angles on different plays, especially when those moving targets are far quicker and more athletic than they are. That's not what offensive linemen like to do. They are used to and they're comfortable with blocking big guys that are right in front of them. They don't really like operating in space. That's not what they're good at. It's outside of their comfort zone. So you might see what you think when you're watching the game out there are bubbles or open gaps that you want us to run right through, but those gaps are accounted for and they are aggressively filled after the snap. So again, they're trying to force the ball outside to those overhang linebackers, to those safeties, as opposed to forcing inside the linebackers like you would typically in an even front. And what that allows them to do is it allows them to play pass first because they have six DBs on the field. They can still play pass first and run second, but keep that conservative umbrella shell that's designed to limit big plays in the passing game and also at the same time still be effective against the run. That's why they're so effective and so successful right now against the pass. That's why they're better against the pass, top 10 nationally, than they are against the run. They're good against the run, but they're better against the pass because they're able to keep that kind of conservative three safety shell umbrella back there, do different things, bracket receivers, play four over three, three over two, those kind of things, and bracket guys and still maintain integrity from a structural standpoint against the run. They also rarely rush more than three guys. They will occasionally bring four, but if you've listened to the show, you know I don't think four guys coming is a blitz to me. That's that's what you do as a base. If you bring more than four, that's a blitz to me. They very rarely bring five guys. That, that is something they don't do very often at all. Um, and, and they get away with that because the front three, those guys play with big time motors. They play hard, they play fast, they don't give up, they keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And what they want to do, if they're only rushing three, that means they're dropping eight. They play a lot of zone coverage. They don't play a ton of man coverage. They will at times, but they play more zone. And what they want to do is force you to throw the ball short and then they have eight guys sit back there in zones. They just rally to the ball and they stop you short. They did it time and time again against Texas. They did it time and time again against Texas A&M. There are just no windows for them to fit the ball into. When you have inexperienced quarterbacks, they don't know what to do with the football. And the pass rush can get there sometimes when you have a good pass rush like Trey Williams because there are so few windows to throw into. The quarterbacks, more often than not, are holding the ball longer than they should, longer than, than they need to because there are no windows to fit those balls into. And now another major benefit of this 3-2-6 defensive structure is that it allows you to play different coverages and you can disguise your coverages and pressures. It makes it really hard for an inexperienced quarterback to know what coverage they're in because they might start with three safeties back there deep on every single snap, but sometimes two safeties roll down and you got cover one. Sometimes two safeties stay back and you got cover two. Sometimes two safeties stay back and you got a corner rolling back and you got cover three. Sometimes you got all three, three safeties staying back and those guys are playing deep third. Sometimes you got one one stand deep and you're playing cover one underneath. Sometimes you got a two deep shell and you're playing two man. You've got two deep and man underneath. So they do a lot of different things. It's hard for any quarterback, even an experienced quarterback, to read and understand that. That's why, why has Iowa State played Oklahoma so well the past couple of years and beaten them a couple of times? Because of this defensive system. It is designed to stop offenses like that, that can spread you out and throw the football, but also run a power run game with it, because Oklahoma definitely does that. And Oklahoma has had issues with Iowa State because this 
defense is built to stop that. And plus, it makes it really hard to know what coverage they're in, where the pressures are coming from, because you got so many guys back there, they're moving around, they're in space, and it's just hard for a quarterback to know and be able to read that. Even the most experienced guys, let alone guys like Zach Calzada and Hudson Card at A&M and Texas, respectively, who had very, very little experience coming into those games. JT Daniels, on the other hand, is a more experienced quarterback. He's been around the block longer. He's seen different coverages. Now, he might not have seen a specific scheme, but he's a guy that's seen a lot more and thrown at him than these guys like Zach Calzada and Hudson Card. But the fact remains, it's still hard, even for the most experienced quarterbacks, even for a guy like JT Daniels, to, to read their coverages, to understand what they're in pre-snap, and, and to be able to identify where those pressures are coming from. Because it really is, it's kind of like middle of the field open and middle of the field closed at the same time. And that gives them flexibility where they're rotating coverages. It's just hard, again, for a quarterback to decipher. So how do you attack this scheme? I've just talked this up, gone in depth with it. And honestly, guys, I'm in love with this defensive scheme. I wish we would run more of it. I mean, obviously we're doing great with what we're doing, but I would like to see us incorporate this against some of the more spread-based teams that we play. But there are still some vulnerabilities. How do you attack this scheme? Now, no one has figured out how to attack this Arkansas version to this point in the season. But again, I do think a big part of that is the inexperienced quarterbacks they face, but still no one has figured it out yet. Now, again, the run game may seem obvious when you see them line up on Saturday. You're going to be screaming for us to run it just like I probably will, even though I'm sitting here telling you it's easier said than done. But still, I, I do believe that we have to commit to running the football in this game. We still might not be explosive in the run game. We might not break off big chunks of plays, but I think it's really important for us to stay ahead of the chains in this game because you j- they just don't give you passing windows if it's third and long. If we get into third and long situations, they're going to drop eight and it's really, really hard to find windows. JT's going to have to dump it off. He's going to have to check it down and they're going to ride to the football and stop it short. That's, that's why they're so good on third down defensively. They force you to just simply throw it underneath. They ride the ball with those eight defenders that they drop into coverage. I'm going to use Mississippi State as an example here, guys. Mississippi State, Mike Leach's first game as the Bizarro Dogs head coach, they look like they set the world on fire, right? They came into Death Valley, into Baton Rouge, took down the defending national champions with an aerial assault and beat them by like three touchdowns, okay? So after week one, people are sitting there praising Mike Leach, saying, hey, I thought SEC defenses were different. I thought they could stop an offense like this. They were mocking SEC defenses. K.J. Costello set an SEC single-game record, throwing for 623 yards, I want to say, at the top of my head in that game. It was an aerial assault. So going into week two, people were thinking Mississippi State was just going to roll over Arkansas. I mean, after all, Arkansas hadn't won an SEC game in, in like two years. But it didn't work out that way. No. The Hogs stopped Mississippi State. They shut down the Mike Leach aerial attack. Barry Odom had an answer. They were the first ones last year, Arkansas was, to show everyone in the SEC how to stop Mike Leach in Mississippi State with dropping eight guys in the coverage. And after that game, they were exposed and every single team they played thereafter, that's what they did almost every single snap. They just dropped eight in the coverage. It's what we did. It's what everyone that played them did. It's what everyone's doing to them right now. And Mississippi State, guys, they simply cannot hit explosive plays right now because everyone's dropping eight. So they did at Mississippi State. They do it kind of as a rule now. That's what they want to get you into. They want to get you into those situations third and long. They're going to drop eight, force you to throw underneath. They're going to ride to the football and they're going to get you off the field. So I think it's very important for us to run the football and be committed to that so that we can try to stay out of those third and long situations. 
And then if we have enough success running the football, now they've been pretty good against the run, not as good as they have against the pass, but pretty good. But if we start to have enough success on the ground, then that could force them out of that conservative zone shell and give us more man-on-man, one-on-one opportunities in the passing game. I would also, to kind of complement this, I would work in a lot of play action in the pass game. The reason for that is their defensive backs, when they only have three down linemen, two inside linebackers, five guys in the box, the defensive backs have run-fit responsibilities. Therefore, they have to be actively involved in the run game. So what that means is when they read run, they're triggering pretty hard, faster than your average defensive back would because they got to get to those run fits. They're more apt, if that's the case, to get their eyes caught in the backfield and can be far too aggressive blitzing on run action. So I think they are a prime team to hit off play action. And one of the things you worry about with play action is like they're longer developing plays. So can your offensive line hold up long enough to protect the quarterback so you can get those balls off? How many times have we seen guys run up and down the field on play action, but we can't get the ball to them because the offensive line couldn't hold up in pass protection? Well, Trey Williams is a good pass rusher, but again, they don't bring a lot of pressure they're really only rushing three, maybe four guys the vast majority of the time. So I don't know if that's going to be as big of an issue. I know AM has some issues protecting Calzada last week, but again, they were playing multiple true freshmen and multiple backups in that game. It's a different story for us. I'm not saying we have a dominant offensive line right now. You guys know how I feel about our offensive line. I think we're good, but not great right now with the potential to get better. But I just don't think they're going to challenge us as much as some people might think if you just watch that AM game, because that's just, there's some context there. AM was not healthy. They weren't at full strength along that offensive line last week. So run the football, stay out of third and long, and also work in play action to take advantage of their aggressive defensive backs who have those run fit responsibilities. Okay. So that's the first part. Now, the second scheme, the second game plan here, we got to figure out defensively. How do we slow down this top 10 rushing offense? This is strength on strength. They're top 10 in rushing offense. We're top 10, top five in rushing defense, right? We're as good as there has been in the country the last couple of years in stopping the run. But this is a very different run game than we have faced. This is a heavy quarterback run game. Now, of course, they'll run their running backs as well, but a lot of it is built on the quarterback run game. They do not have a physically overpowering offensive line. Sam Pittman has not recruited that yet. He might very well recruit to that here in a couple years, not right this second, but they've built the run game around that. They, they, the run game is schemed up really, really well. They package plays, they run constraint plays. They put defenders in conflict. They spread the field silent and sideline to get bodies out of the box and create space for the run game to work with. And guys, that's what offensive football is all about in the spread era. It's numbers and space. And Kendall Bryles, as the offensive coordinator, does a really good job of generating advantages for his team in both those areas, getting numbers and space. With the quarterback run game and optioning off defenders with zone reads and also RPOs, you might as well package a zone read and the RPO together. That gives them numbers. That's how they generate numbers. And then they, they what they do this is the old Baylor system, right? Go back to the Art Bryles days. That's where Kendall Bryles got this from. They line their wide receivers up basically on the sideline. I mean, they're as close to the white chalk on the sideline as you can possibly get. And the reason they do that is they want to force the defense to spread out with them. And when they do that, it creates space. 
And one thing they'll do a lot of is they'll just turn and the quarterback will spray the ball out to the receivers out there and get the ball out in space. And that stretches the defense horizontally. That makes the defense respect that. And they have to widen with that. And that just creates more space on the interior for the run game to operate in. You get the bodies out of the box. So what they want to do offensively is force you to counter the numbers advantages that they create with the quarterback run game by rolling a safety in the box and playing single high man coverage behind it. That's what they want you to do. If you do that, you are playing into their hands. And you all, it's tough though, because you with the amount of RPOs that they run, you almost have to play man. Because playing man coverage is the most effective way to counter RPOs, right? So with their quarterback run game and how effective they are run the ball, you're oftentimes forced, most defenses are, to bring a safety in the box to counter their, their numbers advantage. And you also have to play man coverage to counter what they do with the RPOs. And once they force you to do all of that, to bring safeties in the box, to play man coverage, then they go for the kill shot down the field with a guy like Traylon Burks, who now has man coverage and is going to win that battle the vast majority of the time. That's tough. That's what they want to do. That's how this offense is built. So how do we play this? How do you counter that? Easier said than done. Good thing for us is that we have incredibly strong personnel, incredibly talented personnel. So what I think we have to do defensively is honestly at least try to do what we do on defense. And what do we do on defense? As a rule, our goal is to defend the run with even numbers, okay? That's tough. That's tough for most teams to do, but we're able to do it because we have this big guy named Jordan Davis who eats up blocks in the interior. And we also do different things schematically with how we manage our front with the mint front, which is kind of like our version of the tight front with two guys playing four eyes where you can clog up the B gaps. We do things like that schematically along with having a guy like Jordan Davis to be able to successfully play the run with even numbers. I think that's what we need to at least try to do. We need to force them to show us, to prove to us that they can run the football on our defense with even numbers. And if they do that, then tip your cap to them. Then you got to start thinking about rolling safeties in the box and doing some different things. But as strong as we are up front, especially in the front seven, I think we've got to at least come out and try and see if we can at least slow them down. I don't know if we're going to stop them, but slow them down, limit their run game enough without having to bring any extra bodies into the box. I mean, they're going to make it difficult on us. They really are. They're, they It's a well-schemed offense, but we need guys like Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter to, to honestly just blow up their offensive line. I think they have a chance to do that because that Arkansas offensive line is really, like I said, they're not like physically overpowering. And if we can force double teams and not just Jordan Davis, I mean, Jordan Davis is a big part of that, but Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter, the way Jalen Carter's playing right now, they, I don't know if there's anybody in the country that can block that guy one-on-one. I just don't think that there is. He's different, he's different than Jordan Davis, but I don't know if anyone can block him one-on-one. So if we can force double teams, then that neutralizes what they do with numbers. Now, all of a sudden, they don't have numbers advantage because so they're having to use two guys to block one guy. And I also think our speed should really help here with how they spread the field and the space they try to create. If there is a front seven that's built to operate in space and to kind of cut that, that advantage down, I think it's probably our front seven. And the reason we want to do this, guys, is we just really don't want to give them one-on-one opportunities with Burks. We don't want to have to roll safeties in the box. We want to be able to play some bracket coverage over a guy like Traylon Burks and not give him chances where he can get like 80-plus yard touchdown catches. Because, I mean, look, I, I think Darren Kendrick's a good player. I think Keely Ringo is going to be a really good player. I think he's improving leaps and bounds game by game. But Traylon Burks is really good, guys. He really is one of the best receivers in the SEC, maybe one of the best receivers in the country. So I just don't feel comfortable 
giving him a lot of one-on-one opportunities. That's what Arkansas wants. You're playing into their hands. So I think we have to try to do what we do, force them to prove to us that they can run the ball on us when we have even numbers. And if they do, then we got to adjust. But I, I want to exhaust all options there before we have to adjust. All right, let's go to the last section here, which is one key to the game. As you know, there's always more than just one key to the game, but I'm going to pick out what I think is the biggest key to the game here. And let me start by saying this. You always, defensively, your game plan is always designed around making the opposing offense play left-handed, force them to beat you doing what they don't do well. You cannot let them beat you doing what they do well. That's what every defensive game plan is based around. So in this case against Arkansas, forcing them to play left-handed means forcing KJ Jefferson to beat us with his arm. How do you do that? Again, easier said than done. A big part of it is what I just said, what I just went through, stopping the run with even numbers. We either have to do that or play lights out of man coverage. And right now, I have far more faith in us stopping the run than playing lights out in man coverage. And, and again, that will be a challenge. I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm not going to guarantee you that we're going to be able to stop the run with even numbers. But that's a big part of trying to force them to play left-handed and forcing KJ Jefferson to beat us with his arm. And if, if, big if, if we can slow down their ground game with even numbers, they are simply not going to be able to do anything offensively. That's what their entire offense is built off of. It's a built off establishing the run. And when they get the run game going, they create very easy reads and easy throws for KJ Jefferson. He does not sit back there and go through progressions like you would think, like, like, I don't know, uh, a Mac Jones or Bryce Young or something like that. That's not what he's doing, okay? He's given very easy reads, and when those plays are there, they get some man coverage. He's good enough to put the ball out there for a guy like Traylon Burks to go out there and make a huge play and hit an explosive play. But he is not equipped to beat a team with his arm and his arm alone. He has not thrown more than 23 passes in a single game all season, all right, because he has not had to. They get the ground game going. They have some explosive plays in the passing. They don't throw the ball a lot, but when they do, they're trying to hit chunk shots, and it's worked for them all season long. What we have to do is make KJ Jefferson a passer. Instead of having him throw the ball 23 times, we need to force him to throw the ball 30 to 40 times. If we look at the box score at the end of this game and KJ Jefferson has thrown the ball 30 plus times, I feel very strongly about us winning this game. Now, if KJ Jefferson's only thrown the ball 17 to 25 times, that is playing into their hands. That means they're probably, they were probably able to do what they wanted to do offensively. He's only thrown the ball more than 30 times one time in his career. That was against Missouri last year in his first start. And you know what? They lost that game. That's the only star that he's lost. The only time he threw the ball more than 30 times. So we've got to force him to to be a passer because he's not an efficient passer, guys. He is a 55, 56% passer really outside of that one anomalous game against Texas, all right? Now, another thing that would really help here to make it easier to make them play left-handed, to make Jefferson a passer, would also be able to jump out to an early lead and make them play from behind because that would force them out of their game plan to establish run if they get too far behind. If they get behind, like, obviously, we're not going to jump out to a 35 nothing lead like eight minutes in the game like we did against Vanderbilt. That's not going to happen. But if we can jump out to an early lead, make them play from behind, force them out of their game plan a little bit, make them try to force it a little bit in the passing game, that is definitely going to work to our advantage. Now, no one has been able to do that to them yet, but I would also say 
they have not played a defense of our caliber yet. AM is a very good defense, and AM really shut them down in the second half. They really didn't get any big plays in the second half, but they jumped out, they jumped out to an early lead on AM in that first half, and they were able to kind of play with the lead. I don't want to say soft the game away, but be able to run the football and do what they do. They didn't have to play from behind, and they haven't had to do that all season. So I'm curious to see what would happen if we jump out to a couple score lead early in the game and force them to play from behind, maybe get them out of their game plan, get out of their comfort zone a little bit. No one's been able to do it, but maybe we have a shot to do that in a way that no one else has to this point. But when it comes down to it, the key of the game, make them play left hand on offense, force Jefferson to beat us with his arm, because I just simply do not believe he can do it. If he has to throw the ball 30 to 40 times to beat us, I just don't see it happening. Just like when Jake Fromm had to throw the ball 30 to 40 times to try to beat teams, we weren't winning football games. If Jake Fromm had to throw the ball like 18 to 25 times, we won a lot of football games. It's a very similar thing, different kind of quarterback, but a very similar thing with their offense. It's all built around the run game, play action off that, try to take a couple of deep shots to be explosive with the opportunities that you get to throw the ball down the field. So that's the key. That's what it comes down to for me. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Hopefully, this gives you everything you need to be prepared for this game between the hedges, this top 10 matchup. Hopefully now with this breakdown, that gives you some things to watch for. It'll make the game even more enjoyable for you. But thanks for listening, guys. I really do appreciate it. I know we took a deep dive here. I appreciate you guys sticking with me. If you have any questions on anything that I covered today, certainly hit me up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA or Glory UGA podcast on Instagram. But Charlie and I will be back for one final episode of the week where we'll have our picks of the week. And on that episode, I will reveal my final pick for this game. I'm going to tease it. I'm not going to give it to you right now. i got to tune in on Thursday. We'll have that up probably uh, around 2 o'clock for your drive home from work on Thursday. So check that out. But again, thanks for listening, guys. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>